Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Ghost checking in here on a Sunday night for your Monday morning delivery. We are excited to talk to you for the next hour or so as we discuss the latest in mixed martial arts. Got a lot of news to go over, uh, some fight results, and of course, we do have an interview with UFC middleweight Brendan Allen. Let us reset, and we'll be back with not just us two, but our special guests for the first 15 minutes or so, Nolan Kane, the Boston Shot Caller. Right, folks, we usually start with the results, right? We'll talk about uh, Imavov and Elise in just a second. We'll go over the card, the bonuses, everything. But we got Nolan for the first part of the show, so we're going to be respectful respectful of his time. Uh, Nolan, help us unpack a little bit one big story from this past week with the fight involving Dustin Poirier and Benoit Saint-Denis. We're all looking forward to it, UFC 299 co-main event. But midweek, Dustin Poirier uh basically said that this fight was off and you know of course some disappointment but before we could really get our panties twisted next thing you know uh this thing's back on now what we found out through talking to you and kind of just you know we discuss a lot of stories as a as a collective group you know at junkie is there's a little bit more of this going on than just this fight and what i mean by that is fights getting announced when all the t's have been crossed the eyes have been dotted, and then cues have been squigglied. Um, dude, <laughs> is, is this the norm now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been the norm for a while, and it's it's it, the response. Uh, I think was, you know, that there was more of a uh, public awareness. The, the public was made more aware of it because of the the situation that was very publicly, uh, that very publicly played out last week on Twitter. Um, but yeah, this is something that's been going on for, for quite some time. I mean, it's it's certainly nothing new. I can think of different instances throughout the pandemic. I mean, I've been with MMA Junkie for five years, and I think pretty consistently throughout that time, it seemed like when it comes to um, maybe some of the bigger fights and even some of the ones that are maybe B-level fights, you know, kind of if you're going to put champions in the A bucket, you know, the guys that are B, maybe headliners, maybe contender fights, and, and maybe even some of the ones below that where it seems like, um, you know, uh, Fairly frequently, the UFC will um, announce those fights before signatures are received from the fighters. And so uh, it's not necessarily like this has been a, you know, this is a big pivot or a U-turn or them doing some sort of different protocol than they've done previously. Um, But I think maybe with Dana White's announcements and trying to get the news out and, and trying to have a quick turnaround time to be the first one to uh, break the news before there's any sort of leaks or anybody runs their mouth um, has perhaps made it a little bit uh, maybe even more early on in the process than we've seen um, in in recent years as well. Uh, you know, Dan has been doing this. I'd say, I don't know, you guys can probably chime in on this too, but it's probably been about a year that he's been doing these announcements or, or maybe a little bit less on on YouTube and kind of, I actually think it's pretty good fight promotion, right? Like it's better than us finding out about these fights. And then two weeks before a card comes out, you know, it's supposed to happen. We get an email and everybody's like, ah, we already know all that stuff. Like, I think it makes the fights feel big. It makes people get riled up. The The element of, I know I'm going to be surprised. Dana's announcing something at 7 PM, but I don't know what it is. Um, gets people going about it. So I understand that, but I do think from, from a lot of people I've talked to and specifically in, in a number of the different instances of, uh, these strings of fights that he's announced recently, a lot of the, the the people involved in the other side of the negotiating table have been caught off guard. And I'm not that's not to say, you know, they didn't feel like things were uh, and I don't want to blanket. I don't want to talk blanket for, you know, kind of blanket over all these situ- uh, different instances because they're all a bit different. They're all a bit um you know, a bit further along than uh, there are different varying points in the process. I, I don't want to just kind of group them all in, but there are some times where fighters, uh, you know, f- have been thrown off. Like we haven't really agreed to that. Or, you know, they said uh, the rounds were going to, I didn't know that was going to be a main event or we didn't know it was going to be that location or we hadn't agreed on the money yet. Um, 
So I think that that's really what's kind of always been the case, but more so with these announcements recently. Like I can think of five or six cases in these string of announcements that Dane has done over the past few months where fighters were a bit surprised that they uh, that they were announced because the fights were not done. Um, so it, it can pose some problems, I think, on, on that end. But again, it's always been like this. And the thing is to, to point out as well, just to be fair, is a lot of times these fights do go through. I think part of the reason we haven't heard about this recently uh, or, or throughout time is that most times when the UFC prematurely, if you want to call, call it that, announces a fight, they happen. The negotiations happen behind the scenes. The fighters aren't going to rock the boat. They're not going to talk shit because things are moving in a direction that everybody thinks, you know, everybody's kind of going in the same direction. But it has long been a practice. I'll say that. And see, this is where I was confused because I didn't I don't want to sound oblivious like I wasn't aware of it. But I, I think we had a different type of feeling of what went on. And, and by that, I mean, goes and Nolan agree to the fight, but you just haven't gotten Back in the day, it was the facts, right? The facts, which had the bout agreement, and then you had to sign it. Basically, you agreed. You just haven't technically signed the agreement, so fighters would go out of their way to say, well, I haven't signed anything yet, you know, but we all kind of knew it was 99% done. In this case, like, um, you know, between these leaked DMs and texts, you got the Benoit Saint-Denis side saying, well, he had to find out through the wife who found out through social media about the fight to begin with. And then Dustin clearly saying the fight's off. So that's, you know, so of course some are saying that's eh, a negotiation tactic or whatever, but that's far different from it's been agreed to, they just haven't signed the bout agreement. Yeah. And I, I think um, kind of the way I'd explain it is I think, I think what contributes to this a lot of times is that fighters, it's, it's a bigger, the way that fight negotiations quote unquote happen in the UFC can be a bit backward. Um, I think a lot of times there is a f- opponent and there's a date. Does this, you know, and, and the fighters are presented with it and it's, does this work? Does this not work? Is this something you guys are interested in or not? And usually the fighters will kind of, that's where things will start, right? And you got to kind of get everybody on board for that. Um, but it kind of becomes backwards when fighters either, you know, ask for more money in the middle of, and I'm not blaming them, believe me. I think I totally understand why every situation is not great. And uh, is not the same. And, and some of these longer term contracts are certainly not um, great for, for getting fighters to be paid their worth. Um, so this is definitely uh, I, I, I think it's a reasonable ask from a lot of these fighters when they take big jumps in competition or they take s- different circumstances or whatever. But what ends up happening is when they're offered an opponent, they're offered a date. They say, hey, um, you know, I, I like that. That works for me. Uh then it seems to go backwards where sometimes the terms get figured out kind of afterwards. Like, can we get a new deal? You know, can we extend? Okay. That's going to mean more fights if you want more money or, you know, this is a big jump up in competition. Somebody's accelerating maybe past the point um, of a, of a basic starter contract. You know, somebody in within three fights is already fighting somebody in the rankings. Like, does that, they'd probably argue that that makes them, you know, they should get a bigger jump than just the normal kind of move up the ladder sort of thing. So um, I think that that's really kind of what has, has con- contributed to this whole thing as well. And then as far as, as Benoit Saint-Denis and, and Dustin Poirier goes, um, yeah, it was just that's what kind of triggered this whole thing. Um, you know, we, we saw some leaked texts from Dana White uh, between him and, and, and Benoit. We saw Benoit's team telling Geek Cruz from MMA Fighting, uh, his coach, excuse me, saying that, that, you know, Benoit didn't really know about it. So that's kind of ultimately what triggered this whole thing. Um, you know, Poirier's tweet and then what seemed to trigger Dana was the the Benoit stuff. So I would say, again, just to kind of really sum this all up, I know I've been kind of rambling here. It's just, you know, this has been going on for a while. It was just very publicly aired out in the past week. Why does the media always seem like the bad guy when in reality, all we're providing is pretty much the truth, either verification of it an announcement that'll make everyone happy. And Dana always gets his, his panties in a wad over the media. I think it's just something he's kind of done the last few years or so to just head that way, you know, to maybe, maybe do damage repair for the way they negotiate or whatever. But in reality, I mean, the proofs usually in the pudding and the media is the ones that are really the only adults in the room Look, the fighter, one guy, didn't talk to his manager, but decided to post on social media, then apologizes. I mean, the fighters are always usually going to be heroes to the fans. And then the promotion, while Dana White's pretty wildly popular, and so is the UFC, 
But I, I'm baffled by how the media gets hammered when all they've done is usually just uncovered the truth, verified the truth, provided the best info for MMA fans. Yeah, and, and especially with this case, you know, I think at least as far as my reporting goes um, and just the, the way I kind of I kind of carry myself publicly is I really don't like to get my opinions out there. Like we're on a show like this. We're on spinning back click. You know, I'm asked my opinion. I'll always give an honest answer. Um, but when it comes to just kind of talking on social media or, um, you know, s- stuff like that, I'm maybe to a fault sometimes don't like to really inter- interject my opinion into stuff. But when it comes to this, um, what kind of surprised me about Dana going that route was I, to me, I feel like it's an indisputable fact that this has been going on. I mean, there's been so many cases of it. Even some fighters, you know, have mentioned it publicly. I think it happened with Paulo Costa recently and, and you know, the public can kind of take him serious at times and not. So maybe it was kind of glazed over um, at that point in time. But I mean, I, I believe Israel Adesanya was either for the, uh, the one of the Pereira fights or one of the Whitaker fights. You know, he showed up at fight week. I think it was in Houston. I think it was the Whitaker rematch because I think I was actually there. Um, but he kind of said, like, I'm here. I still haven't f- signed my fight agreement for, you know, the fight on Saturday because we're renegotiating. So it's not something that's been it's it's been part like like a fact of this whole thing. So I would be interested in, and I'm sure that the next time Dana does do a press conference, he will probably be asked about you know what happened with Dustin. So if it turns into a, an attack on the media sort of fest, um, I, I don't necessarily view this as like a, a disagreement or kind of you know maybe two people have different opinions of what's going on or, or some of the other sort of issues that we've seen with the media and Dana butting heads like to me that this is an indisputable fact that this has been going on. So for him to kind of take some sort of anger and misplace it and, and kind of throw it at Guy Cruz, who was not even the person who like said this. It wasn't even like he just reported that he had heard that from anybody. He just posted a clip that was from Benoit's coach. So really the only two people here, if, if we're having misinformation that Dana should be getting mad at would be Dustin Poirier uh, or, or Benoit Saint-Denis camp or Sean Brady. We haven't even heard anything about that instance for, from Dana White, but um, that would really be the only conflict I think in, in quote unquote, like our reporting, we're just reporting what we've heard from these different, you know, teams and sources and whatever. And I mean, most of it has been even said publicly. So I wasn't really sure. And I was a bit surprised by Dana uh, to kind of come out with something that seemed like there was such disputable evidence. And again, nobody was arguing that Benoit didn't sign his contract. Like that wasn't what was going on here. So yeah, very, very strange, very weird, very roller coastery sort of day that just ended up in a giant, circle you know yeah the fight is on all right your thoughts go any thoughts here well i just wanted to know from Nolan, like because one thing that comes to mind for me and it's happened in boxing before when you have these managers that have these large stables what'll happen is when things aren't in ink and dry on paper um if they promotions don't get what they want Sometimes it tends to bleed over into other fighters' negotiations. You have you you're playing hardball here. I'm gonna hit you on this other guy or this other thing. Uh, how dangerous can situations like that do you think brew over for for other fighters? It's an interesting one, and it's it's that instance is something that I've thought of quite a bit. Um, you know, I haven't necessarily had anybody speak to me that is in that position. Um, you know, I, I think obviously that is a fair thought that anybody could have like how do how do these big stables get handled right how do you uh you sit down as a as a manager <coughs> at a negotiating table and maybe something gets heated maybe you guys come in a big disagreement maybe you think the person on the other side of the table is going to be pissed at you and then all of a sudden you have to turn around and, and have negotiations about somebody else it's certainly a difficult position to be in for a manager uh you know and you know, again, the matchmakers, people like to play armchair matchmaker a lot or criticize the UFC. They do have a difficult job. Like there's a lot of stuff that I hear about behind the scenes that it's like, man, this is kind of like a mess, you know, trying to figure out all these puzzle pieces and which ones are going to go together. And this guy is getting married and this guy's, you know, kid's going to be born and that guy wants to fight the next week at home. And so, uh, you know, and, and again, I've heard them being super cutthroat at the, on the other hand. So it, it's a give and take. Um, but as far as that goes, I mean, yeah, it's, it's obviously something that comes to mind when you hear about a lot of these negotiations. And I honestly uh, don't necessarily I haven't necessarily heard of anything explicit going on where, you know, somebody manager will say, well, shit, you know, uh, 
I tried to book this guy and it went poorly or we had a falling out. And then I think that they used it against me for something else. I haven't necessarily heard about that. I wonder if the UFC, uh, you know, maybe does a good job of uh, if they do kind of have hard feelings of knowing that it might be perceived that way and maybe covering covering them up, so to speak. I, I can't really say that I've, I have any hard evidence, though, that there's been that sort of carryover effect. Do you guys do. feel like any of this can ever just be like, well, I'm not getting what I want, so how about I just put them on the spot? Yeah, well, are you saying about the fighters? Yeah. In other words, uh, like we'll take a guy like a Nate Diaz, right, who kind of prides himself on anytime, any place. But when negotiations come around, money is a big factor. So maybe that's a time where you lean on, well, all right. People always say you're you're the anytime, any place. How about I just say this fight's done and we'll watch you okay. kind of squirm. So I, I will say I think I've heard of it in a positive light. Like I think sometimes I've heard of, you know, maybe a fighter does the UFC a solid and then the UFC, like within that conversation, either a teammate gets signed or some other guy gets a booking that, you know, oh, you want to be on that date with that same fighter? Like, sure, sure, we can put your whole team on this card. You know, stuff like that I've certainly mm -hmm. heard of. Um, and I think it's it's been kind of a negotiating chip. I mean, we've even seen it kind of publicly, right? Like Charlie Ward getting signed to the UFC. Um, you know, I think there's been a, a Chris Avila getting signed to the UFC. Like, there's even other ones, you know, Blood Diamond was 3-0 and or something when he got signed. Like, was that part of, you know izzy's sort of negotiation like hey i have this guy he's great you should bring him on like i think we've seen kind of those um bones thrown in certain directions whether it's at managers whether it's at fighters whether it's at coaches i think i've certainly heard and seen of of kind of the you know extra we're giving you something like throwing you an extra bone sort of uh method mm -hmm. i was just gonna say i'm pretty sure when we talked to kevin lee he got caught up in the whole CAA, Francis Ngannou mix. So that's one time I remember recently. Well, not that recent, but it was, what, a couple years ago where he ultimately was a fall guy um, because things weren't going good with Ngannou and the manager. And So, yeah, I, I think it does happen. I think the UFC's job, I agree with you, Nolan, is difficult. And so that's why I do tend to give him a pass. When I hear, man, I heard Dana's shady. Well, fuck, what do you expect? There's 800 of them. And I'm sure a lot of these fighters are twats themselves. So imagine dealing with them. I mean, you kind of have to be pretty, you know, hardball. Uh, imagine the matchmakers, same thing, you know, like because it, it, it is a pretty difficult business. So I bet you both sides can get pretty nasty. Yeah. Know, but I think really like the, the perception that's out there kind of about, and I, I think we've seen it with over time, like the UFC, uh, you know, you'll see a guy come in, right. And he takes two or three short notice fights against hard opponents right off the bat. And, you know, it's not like the UFC that sits there and thinks, well, man, you're owing two or owing three. And, but you've really done us solid plugging in those two prelims on four days notice that we, we needed for you. Like, we're going to keep you around for a fourth try. Like, I think when it comes to that stuff, like the scratch in the back sort of thing, I don't, I think that that perception's pretty accurate. Like maybe some of the veteran guys, even some of them, like I feel like sometimes it's like pretty cutthroat when it comes to the UFC, like when they could have an opportunity to give a guy an extra shot or give a guy a, a fight at home or whatever. Like we don't, the, the back scratching doesn't necessarily is not necessarily as you know on equal ground so it's a dirty game overall you know i think everybody involved in it kind of knows it can be pretty nasty pretty um cutthroat pretty all sorts of everybody has an opinion as to why things aren't you know why my negotiations aren't going smoother it's because of you know so and so uh he didn't like me because the matchmaker didn't like me because of this or whatever like it, it's it's who knows, you know, who the only, the only people that really know is the, the people that are, that are sitting there with the giant spreadsheet, plugging in names into UFC apex and, and shows across the world and pay-per-views and everything. So um, inside baseball stuff is, is pretty cool to hear. And inside cage fighting is pretty cool to hear. Um, but it is certainly nasty at times. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for hopping on, man. And uh, clearing a lot of this stuff up for us because it really was kind of a messy week. And look, we get pumped up about these announcements. We get pumped up about the fact that two, three months, sometimes even four, we kind of know what a card looks like. It 2023 had so much, so much stuff 
just getting glued together with two weeks to go, you know, main events, co-main events. And late last year, we already had, you know, a good idea of how the first quarter would go in 2024. And that made fans and I think media happy. So um, anyway, thank you, Nolan, for jumping on. We'll see you yeah, tomorrow. Anytime, on boys. Back click. That you will. Thanks, guys. All right. See you. Yeah. All right. Well, goes in the end, the Poye San Denis fight is on. I'm excited about it. And uh, yeah, Sean Brady versus Vicente Luque. I'm down if it goes down. Um, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. Sad how Gary pulled out on Luque, and he's already got his fight lined up against Weird, Jeff Neal. Right? And Luque's sitting there fumbling his thumbs around. Yeah, that part does suck. Yeah. All right, folks. So there you have it. Uh, thanks to Nolan King for jumping on. He'll be joining Goes and I tomorrow for Spinning Backlick, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. We do it every Monday. It's live. You can be a part of the show by jumping in the chat room for an hour with us, uh, giving us comments, questions, and we try to get to some of those. So, yeah, hop on in. Uh, it's over at the YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash MMA Junkie Video. Or if you follow us on Facebook, same thing. We stream live there as well. Noon Eastern, 9, 9 a.m. Pacific every Monday. Uh, all right, goes. We'll get to the results in, in just a sec here. Uh, Brendan Allen is our guest. UFC middleweight. He's got a big fight coming up as well. We'll talk about that when we come back in 10. Junkie Nation, what's going on? We always bring you the best. We got Brendan Allen joining us here today on Junkie Radio. He faces Marvin Vittori at an upcoming fight night on April 6th. He's got a few months uh, to go. I'm sure camp is underway. How are you, Brendan? Good to have you back. I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. All right. Boy, a lot has changed, man. Uh, I love seeing the trajectory of fighters that come through Dana White Contender Series. This is a whole new cycle for us. We've done it through the fighters with the Ultimate Fighter, and now Dana White Contender Series is just kind of taking over the world. Do you remember back then, Could you wh- wh- what direction do you think your career would have taken had you not gone through Dana White Contender Series? I don't know. It's hard to say because I think um, it could have went a couple different areas, right? If I were to beat... Eric Anders, when I fought him for the first ever uh, middleweight belt, then I would have just went right into the UFC. Um, if I were to beat Anthony Hernandez, no matter what, I still would have went on Contender Series. So um, I guess it could have went one of those two ways, but either way, it went how it went. And um, yeah, I'm still happy with it. I don't, I don't think uh, I could have done anything more or less uh, with the opportunities. All right. Bless you, young lady in the back. Um, so, Brendan, how about this? Now that you've seen a few Ultimate Fighters since you've done Dana White Contender Series, do you think that more exposure comes through Dana White Contender Series than those that have come through uh, the Ultimate Fighters since your tenure started with UFC? It's a great question. Um, no, I think you definitely get more respect, notice. Okay, I'll give it to you after this. Uh, I definitely think you get more notoriety and more respect out of Contender Series now um, since since Contender Series has come about, especially since we've had uh, champions come out of it, like Sean O'Malley. I don't know. Just the Ultimate Fighter just hasn't had as much spotlight as Contender Series since it started. I think back in the day it would have definitely been Ultimate Fighter, but ever since Contender Series comes around, it's just been Contender. Yeah, no doubt, man. You know, I I had thought that before they even booked you and Vittori, you have a six-fight win streak. You won 80 your last nine. I thought with everyone kind of being booked, would you have even been interested in being some sort of an alternate in a future title fight? Like, is that something that interests you? Do you you like your three-month camps, your two-month camps, whatever it is, rather than the short-notice stuff? Yeah, the short-notice is really hard for me. It's hard for me to be motivated to cut the weight. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would, but 
I don't know. It's it's really not high on my priority list. Like I said, I have to have motivation now to really like fully immerse myself into training. Plus, I like to train for really one guy to. I don't know. I guess just the way that my brain operates and the way it works and how I study and how the how the camp goes for me, and not just in training but in every other aspect, um, diet, mental preparation, um, homework, and studying tape. Um, it's just hard for me to do so. So I prefer just the, the, the one camp at a time. So I, I think I would let uh, that that pass maybe. I, I don't know. It's hard to say. Gold on the line is something really big and really important. So I, uh, that, that's really hard to say until it's presented. The other day I heard Hanato Moicano say he's not a fan of the eight-pack. Then Chris Curtis was on our show, and he says he loves the eight-packs. Five rounds. Let's do it. He says he'll put on a show. You've obviously are quite familiar with the apex, um, but are you? Wh where do you sit with this? Would you have preferred to get the call from the matchmaker that said you're at this numbered pay per view? You know, in three months, like uh, how do you feel about all this? Ooh, so I, I think I have the most fights at the apex. I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. I, if I'm not first, I gotta be second. I gotta be somewhere close. So I can say from experience that. Um, to be honest, it doesn't really matter. I just know the preparation it mentally is a lot easier at the apex just because I've been there so many times. It's easier to mentally prepare and um, allows me to perform maybe a little bit better just because it's it's so easy to mentally prepare. So, But I can fight anywhere. I just know that with fans, a lot of fans, it brings a different energy about it than the apex does. So the apex is probably, for, for me personally, a lot um, – a lot more of a cleaner level-headed performance just because you don't have the energy that could throw you off. It's just a lot different. Brendan, this particular run here that you're on, is there one thing that you can point to that you could say, this was the factor in my career that made that allowed you to kind of go on this run? Uh, definitely working with a sports psychologist has been the biggest thing for me. Immersing myself into that, putting the time and effort into mentally being better uh, a lot stronger has been something huge for me. So, yeah, I think that's the number one thing that I can attribute to the streak that I'm on right now. You know, Marvin Vittori, it's kind of no secret. We know what he's going to do. He loves to come forward. He loves to bang him out. Uh, is it I, – I know you're a fighter, and part of you probably loves that, but at the same time you have your strategy. Is it difficult to kind of weigh those two, you know, getting wrapped up in the moment, but at the same time, keeping up your uh, your end of the bargain, your strategy? Um, yeah, that's something that definitely plays a role. I think I'm a, I'm older and mature now, but there's still that, that, that something inside of me that's like, especially if I don't really care for the person, it's like, let's just go and see who falls first. Like, um, I'm willing to go out on my shield. I'm just trying to be smarter about it. And, um, yeah, I, I'm just trying to be smarter, smarter about it and just stay level-headed and, Show the true me. I don't want to go in there and fight with emotions. Um, the best me is a calm me, one that's having fun, smiling. So um, I always keep that in the back of my head, and uh, that's what I stay focused on. This division is popping. Is there uh, any particular request or anything? Once you get past this fight, what do you think would be next for you? Honestly, I feel that question is based on my performance. I think if I go out there and finish him and make it look easy – I think I definitely dropped my name in the hat for a title shot. Um, but worst case scenario, I think a, a true a true number one contender fight is um, what's after that. So um, I really think it just comes down to me. It's up to me. It's I think overall this is my fight to go out there and lose. I think I'm better in every single place the fight can go. Um, the guy's tough. He's definitely tough. He can show he can take a beating. And uh, I sure I can give one. So, um, yeah, I, I really don't um, put any emphasis on any of it. I just need to go out there, be me, and see where the cards fall. You care who champ once you get to that that moment? No, I was hoping it would be Sean to run that back, um, but I don't mind it being Dickus either. Um, I've been wanting to fight him since he got into the UFC, and he's steady been, you know, flying by, taking the easy fights and. Um, hey, it is what it is. He got the belt off of it. Um, did he really earn it? Like, is it really his belt? Hmm? I think that's to each their own. But um, 
no matter what it, no it does not matter who's who's champ when it's my turn um i'm gonna do my best to seize that opportunity well brendan he did go through a former champ in whitaker before he got to strickland and then he beat strickland so can you clarify why, why do you think he took these road maybe i mean i i don't i don't know i i'd say whitaker who i think was like right. 12 and three or something like that and you know former champ that's that's kind of a tough road to go through no Okay, let me ask you this. Did Whitaker look like the normal Whitaker in that fight? He did not. He did not. But you could say that maybe it was because of uh, Drikas. He pretty much just came out, you know, guns a-blazing, I guess. I don't know. Um, I mean, he was getting he was getting beat just in the fir- first minute and a half of that fight, and Whitaker didn't look as bouncy as he normally does. He didn't look as quick off his feet as he normally does. He just literally looked flat-footed and stiff. But it is a win. Hey, it is a win. You, you're definitely right. That's a great name to have on the resume. Um, can't take the win away. It, it, he, he got that for sure. Um, but up until that point, we can definitely easily, for a thousand percent facts, say he had the easy road. And he was losing every single one of those fights until he just got come back and got a finish. Some of them lucky. Mark, Marcolos Perez or whatever his name is, uh, he was losing that fight. He was beating him so easily that he threw a spinning back elbow at the same time that uh, Dickus was throwing a body shot and hit him in the chin. I don't think it gets really any more lucky than that. Now, you, you, I understand what you're saying. I remember the Tavares fight, what started it, he was down in that one as well. He was down the first round. The last two were pretty close before I think there was a broken nose. Um, yep. But all right, Um as far as you're concerned, whoever's there is there. That's fine with you. Um, how much experience did you get? Even though the last fight didn't go five rounds, it was scheduled five for five rounds, which means you, you did a camp for five rounds. So even though it went three, how much experience did you gain from that? Uh, and Because I'm sure you expended energy thinking you could go five before you got the finish. I always train – to go and go and go, like, I, I don't know any other way than go 100% when training happens. That's why it's nice for me to take uh, a couple months off in between camps or whatever the case may be, just because when I do train, I don't know any other way than to push myself. Um, I've done five rounds before, different stage, but five rounds is still five rounds. Preparing for five rounds, I've done multiple times as well. So um, it was nothing new. Things just change in preparations from three to five. You can be a little bit more lazier on three, whereas you can't with five. You add some different running routines in there. You do a couple more rounds. But overall, um, the push for me is still the same. Let's close with this. I'm in South America right now. I've been out of the United States for about six weeks. I would love nothing than to go back and smash a Chipotle, an In-N-Out burger, a few other things. But... I guess our listeners, maybe Ghost can clarify, were wanting us to ask you about Chipotle. Your thoughts? I love Chipotle. Chipotle's what? I probably have it two or three times a week, maybe more, just depending on if my kids want that. Usually they want Chick-fil-A, but um, I, try not, I try not to feed them fried food all the time or uh, whatever. But What's your order? Yeah. When I go to Chipotle, I either get a bowl or a wrap, and it's always the same thing for each of them. It's uh, white rice, black beans, double meat, one chicken, one steak, queso, because the queso is the best. You can't finish it without queso. And then just cheese and lettuce. That's my thing. No hot sauce. No, no. I don't like spicy, surprisingly. I'm I'm actually a very picky picky eater. I was going to say, because two or three times a week, if you eat that hot sauce, man... You'd be terrified no, no. happened to kill Cliff. <laughs> no, no, I can't do hot, man. I don't know why. I don't like spicy, uh, which is crazy because I'm I'm raised in Louisiana, so um, it's very crazy. But yeah, I don't know. I guess I get it from my mom being such a picky eater, but uh, I wish I wasn't. It would make the diet and everything else so much easier. But uh, I know, baby. So a big tough dude walks in about six two, two hundred pounds. You got the look, man. You've been through, you know, you can throw down and all that. Everyone gets out of your way. You put in your order. And then at the very end, when everyone's thinking, oh, he's going to go heavy with that hot sauce, you go, none for me. Exactly. You can go on and pass it to the next person. I give it to my niece or something. If she wants something spicy. Yeah, man. I just can't. I don't know what it is, man. I don't want to be sweat. I don't mind like a little like touch. 
But I don't yeah. want to be sweating when I'm eating. To me, that's not appetizing. I don't know what they do there with their hot sauce, but I've had to uh, lay down the fork and knife like you guys lay down the gloves about two times at Chipotle because of that hot sauce. But I always come back, man. But let me try and blow your mind here with a strategy, okay? All right. George and I have loved Chipotle for a long time. We've come up with a little strategy that I think might help you. When you say a wrap, you mean like a burrito, right? Correct. Okay. When you get your burrito, here's what you do, okay? You start off, they have the rice, right? So yes, you sir. give them your rice. Then when they say, what kind of beans do you want? Say no beans, okay? Move on to okay. your meat. When you pick your meat, you said it's steak and chicken, right? Yeah. Just say one. Say uh, say steak, okay? Then when they put the first scoop down, go, you know what? On second thought, it looks good. Give me double. Because what that does is it forces them to match the first one. If they if you tell them double at the beginning, they kind of give you like a half and half, you know, because they're afraid to rupture that burrito. Yep. So once you get them on that, then you go on second thought, I'm kind of in the mood for beans today. And you go back to the beans. Because if they fill it with the rice and the beans, there's no room for your, your meats. And that's how they kind of get you. So you got to do it in wow. that order. And that's how you stuff that burrito. Now, that burrito is going to be big, bro. So I don't know if you can go two, three times a week, but you're going to be happy when it's done. Then you add all your fixings at the end. It's crazy. You just said that about the uh, the double portions of, of the meat. I didn't, I've never heard that about putting the beans on last. But I literally, I swear to you, my girlfriend literally just told me that at the end of last week about the uh, the meat, like how to order the double meat, and it forces them to give you more. I was like, wow, that actually is super intelligent. Like I, I never thought, I never thought that far into it. But here's uh, the thing: you can't do it twice. So like, if you go with your girl, you're gonna have to be a little bit of a jerk. You got to go first because she can't pull the same joke afterwards, right? So you got to make sure you're you're kind of in the front there. Man, that's a good idea, though. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to yeah, try because it. Sometimes I'll, when I'll they do just you. one scoop, they'll do a scoop, and then they'll kind of look at you and kind of like, yeah, I'm hooking you up with like a quarter of the next scoop. So that's one. So then when you order, if you order the steak first and the chicken, they got to do the same thing, a scoop and a quarter of to match what you're saying. And then it's unlimited rice and beans. A lot of people don't know this. You can go more beans, please, more rice, please, and not feel an ounce of guilt over it. That part supposedly is unlimited it's the meat where they tell you okay we but we got to charge you so um i didn't know yeah. that when my me and my boy tuco will go he'll be like um can i get double meat please they'll give him meat like whatever their portion is but like the small ones like you're talking about they're like all right well in that case can i just have triple please mm -hmm. they never charge him for it but he, he's just being so sarcastic with them oh yeah and that's the last part of everything is you got to have some kind of joke or some kind of compliment between the last person that puts the fixings and the person at the catch register. If you distract them in time, they're always so busy that they'll forget to say the double or whatever. And you just slip every time. Oh my gosh. Every time I get that all the time, but I don't know. Sometimes I try to be on the straight and narrow and I'm like, no, nah, I got, I got double. Like they'll ask me like, did you get, did you get chicken? Yeah. 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 I just got chicken or uh, yeah. I got chicken and steak, buddy. Mm -hmm. You know, one time, I don't know if you remember him, he's retired now, Vinny Magalayash. Um, mm -hmm. He came into our studio with a stack like this, bro, um, like of Chipotle free burritos. When it first really? hit the scene like 15 years ago or something like that. It was a, a shoebox um, full of them. Oh, yeah. I need to figure out how he got those. I need a little bit of that. Yeah. And Cain Velasquez has something in his wallet that allows him to go in there and get free for life. Oh, yeah, uh, Keith Lee has that, some card. I was trying to get that. So I'm not tweet cool about it. Have your followers joke about it. Maybe you'll get on the radar. I need more followers. That's the problem. But I'm not like uh, – I'm not a social media influencer. Like, I don't know. I try a little bit. But in order to be like full into – I didn't realize how much social media is really like a job. Like, you really have like to have the proper song, the proper um, – actual post and it's got to be at a certain time and you want to do this i don't know i just don't have time for all that i got two kids i fight i have a, my own promotion I, I try to be with my friends try to be with family still try to live a normal life girlfriend like i don't have time for all that so if it, I, I feel like uh at the end of the day i'm a fighter i need to go out there and fight i need to win and uh as long as i'm winning everything does itself so then just remember this just remember this if you get mic time 
uh, after your fight, just say, hey, uh, you know, whatever it is you say, take me through the win, the sequence of the win. I'm not predicting you're winning or nothing. I'm just saying, whoever wins Eddie Vittori, if it's you, just say, I'll tell you what, you know, um, Chipotle, man, they fuel me, and they're going to fuel me all the way to the title. Something catchy like that, and, bro, you're on their radar. So tell I use one of my post fights. Huh? I used one of my post fights. I was I, I shouted out Chipotle, but then I found out from inside sources that they don't like they're not really into fighting, which is why like one of the reasons they've never signed like a deal with like UFC or anything like that. Because mm. uh their head like the, the head people aren't don't like fighting. Oh okay. Well how long ago did you hear that? Because they change companies change leadership all the time, right? Yeah, I don't know. Um, what are we in January? So probably October ish. I heard that about Red Bull. I think yeah. Red Bull's not a fan of uh, the combat sports or something like that. I don't know. That was a while back. Like I say, there's always new leadership. You never know. The next person that comes in says, "Are you kidding me? I, I love you, you know, MMA or whatever." Yeah. Time to hit a new market, and- but it's okay because we're we're Team Monster anyway. We don't like Red Bull. <laughs> Thanks for the time, man. We'll let you get back to being a dad. We really appreciate it. Good luck with your camp. It should be a great fight between you and Vittori. This, this is some high stakes here, right? I, I think the winner can see a title shot sometime in 2024. Thank you. Thank you guys for the time as well. Um, yeah, we'll see how it goes, man. I, I'm, I'm hoping to just run out, go out there and run away with it. That's that's kind of the goal. And uh, nothing nothing short of that is uh, acceptable in my eyes. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how the cards fall. And uh, I'll see you on April 6th. All right, take yeah. care. See you, Brendan. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Well, he's got a good-looking family, man. Them kids are cool. Um, I thought I thought once they settled in, they they did their job and just let Dad do his interview. I got scared in the beginning. I thought, uh oh, is this gonna keep going? But yeah, they they chilled out, and uh, this is kind of an interview that all you guys asked for. So I'm glad it finally came to fruition. It maybe wasn't the normal asking that we get. Because it had to do with Chipotle, but hey, we got him on. We covered both. We did, yeah. He's Three times a week. Right, with Marvin Vittori, who's a long, at least a five-year top five fighter. Uh, he's fought for the title, and he's mixed it up with all the big dudes, and that's what Brendan Allen needed to add on to the six-fight win streak. A win over Vittori now gets him in title talk in 2024. I'm not saying he's next. Strickland has a great case. Him and Duplessis had a fun fight. It 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 apparently uh, sold well, and obviously DDP and Israel Adesanya is really really um, a fight that must be made. So I would imagine Allen trails at least those two, and maybe a Cannoneer, and who knows about Hamzat, but. You got to get in there and mix it up with someone, and usually someone that's fought for the title. That, that's a good, good opponent. Yeah, I can't get over uh, him eating Chipotle three times a week, though. That's a lot, isn't it? Well, he he holds off on the hot sauce, and that's the key. Otherwise, you're gonna blow your muffler <laughs> out, man. You know what I mean? Once, every, I think the most I could do is once a month, once every two weeks. Uh, but I keep it. I tell them light. So I point to the hot sauce and go, I want that. I just go light. Whereas before, whatever they put on, they put on. But then all of a sudden, there were some days that were like painful, man. Dude, I got torched with even with light hot sauce. I've been getting torched. I don't know what it is, but what would have happened to you if you had a Chipotle burrito when we were at uh, F1? Hey, that Kung Pao wasn't messing around that we had. We had Kung Pao one day and it just made me gassy. At F1, right? Uh, yeah, at F1. So, so when you I was scared that was going to turn into me obliterating a restroom, but it never did. It was just me being gassy, and that was it. And honestly, my farts are horrific. But in this case, um, I think I was just gassy, and I don't I don't remember anybody going, boy, who shit their pants around us or nothing like that. Like, I mean, it was just, just gas, 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 gas. But to answer your question, if it was one of those horrible ones, I just would have grabbed a crap load of napkins gone to the restroom you got to get it over with because sitting there trying to hold it is horrific and imagine trying to walk to your car get in your car drive no man you just gotta you know you gotta deal with it you gotta deal with it and then 
once you deal with it after that, if you're just not feeling comfortable, then I guess you get the hell out of Dodge. But F1? Well, I'm just saying, like, I, I don't know. Remember I told you about that time in Brazil? I had poo on my sock. You think I'm going to go back to F1 with that? Well, no, I'm just saying, like, if you're – because remember, like, what would have been your move? Because it was all porter potties, and there was lines in front of all of them. So when you're coming out of there, what's what's your move? Like, hey, be careful in here. The guy before me was an animal. Or like, well, what, what do you do? Um, I used to care about that. I don't care anymore. I think I might just own up to it and say, I wouldn't go in there if I were you, you know, but I wouldn't like say the guy previous to me, you know, like, cause I don't know that anyone really buys that. Mm-hmm. So it is a porter, plus, porter potty though. They are nasty. Even when plus once I take off, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to see that person again. Right. So, yeah, you know, ideals Pluto, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm gone. I'm back to, I'm either back to F1 or I'm texting you saying I'm heading home. <laughs> I might come back. I might not. I don't know. I'm telling you, man, like Texas day, Brazil, usually, that can do a number on me. I think I finally just had to tame what I was doing. I was just eating a lot. And the, and it was the uh, the black beans. Now that I think about it, Chipotle had put black beans. But anyway, it was the black beans and the mushrooms or something, dude. I, sometimes I wouldn't even make it out of Texas de Brazil. I just had to go in there. I think it's got to be the meat, no? Because it's like usually on the more rare side. I don't know. But now I'm hungry for it. I'm wishing I had it. Well, you're closer to it than I am. Texas to Brazil? Well, I'm closer to Brazil. Yeah. You know, it's a five-hour flight from here. Really? Everyone thinks South America is just like, you know, hey, let's just get in the car and go to the border. And hell no. Like, from but they here, gotta have, like, Brazil is five there. hours. That's literally from L.A. to New York. So... They got to have, up. like, really good churrasquerias in Peru, though. No? Yeah, yeah, they they've had they don't have any that are like I've seen some restaurants that serve picanha, which is mm. the number one meat at a churrascaria usually. And so that tells me they're cooking it Brazil style. But there's no actual Brazilian restaurant that I've been to or seen. I'm sure there is one though. I think I saw a Mexican one, so I'm sure there's a Brazilian one. But Peruvian cuisine is pretty good today, man. I went and got lunch and came back, and they would. I bet you, if I would have said I'm running for president, they they would have campaigned for me, man. I, they loved what I brought them. I brought our aunt and the nurse some fish. My mom, uh, pollo saltado, and yeah, it was it was good. We ate good today. Nice. Yeah. Um. All right. So I'm glad we got that straightened out a little bit. Uh, how about this other little deal going on with, I, I know we kind of beat this one to death, but Holly Holmes says that if Kayla Harrison doesn't make weight, she might not take the fight. And honestly, goes, I'm not sure I blame her. She's 42. If someone puts a whooping on her, that might be the end of Holly Holm. So I think she's saying, look, all these fights have to count for something. She probably wants one last title run. Um, what do you think of her stance? I don't mind it. I, and honestly, I don't even really think it should be a matter of it being a stance. That's just kind of how it should be. You know, if a fighter misses weight, I think the other fighter, uh, we're in a sport where it's so much about guts, right? And, and going out there and doing your job. But at the end of the day, like, they answer to nobody but themselves. You know, that's their lives that they're putting on the line. So I think if somebody has that stance, they more than deserve to be able to make that decision. Now, going forward, is that going to affect you? Maybe, especially on a big card like that. You know, I think uh, UFC probably wouldn't be too happy about that. But uh, I don't know. I feel like they would sprinkle enough money to make it worth her time. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a there's a big difference between like Hamzat when he was like eight pounds over against Nate, and mm-hmm. Nate was like, "Bro, you're a middleweight coming down. I'm a lightweight coming up." Like, nah, you know. 
And then there's the difference between the person that just misses by half a pound or a pound. And I think the another thing behind the scenes is, did you try? You know, yeah. I'm sitting there suffering. Did you suffer? And then say, I just couldn't do it. My body shut down. So there's a few different factors, but Holly's in an interesting spot because she's got to win over the current champion and Raquel Pennington. She's been in there. She's felt her. She knows what it's like to go to war with the champ. And even at 42, you know, she's a pretty popular fighter. So I imagine she's just making sure I don't mess a potential shot against someone I've beaten, a potential title shot versus someone I've beaten by taking on this monster that's coming from, you know, let's let's be honest here. Kayla's the 155-pound champion at PFL. She only fought at 145 twice. She obliterated Aspen Ladd, and then she did one fight at Invicta. But the rest of her career has been at 155. She's thick. She's strong. She's an Olympic athlete. You know, she's a specimen. So, um, I like I said, I see Holly Holmes' point, but we'll see how egregious of a miss it is. Honestly, I don't expect there to be a miss because Kayla just looks like the type of fighter that couldn't look herself in the mirror if she ever missed weight. Like, she takes her craft that serious. I agree with that. and uh, But I'll say this. I think it's smart of Holly Holm to put that out into the universe because I don't care who you are in the situation that she's in, Kayla Harrison, trying to make this weight. Not just trying to make this weight, but trying to make it and be effective for her debut in the biggest organization in the world on probably the biggest card of the last couple years, that's a lot of pressure. And I think the more you add those things into the universe and into somebody's head, the more and more it becomes something that they think about on a daily basis. So I kind of, I kind of think it's a good tactic to even put it out in the air. I agree with you. I don't think Kayla will miss weight, but that doesn't mean that, I mean that I that I what I mean is that she'll make it comfortably. I think uh Kayla will go through hell to make that weight. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a big difference between making the weight comfortably, being able to perform and fight, than there is somebody that just absolutely, you know, we've seen some of these fighters shaking right up on the stage. Yeah, they made weight, but look what they put their body through, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe that I could see, but I I, I I, I think she'll make it. I think so too. I uh, I think Holly was probably asked and she answered, but probably midway through her answer, I can imagine she thought, you know what, this is a little little mental warfare, you know, going on here. Why why not why not up the stakes here a little bit? Yeah. Uh, all right, the results from this past weekend. Uh, let's start at the top just because I want to get it over with. Roman Delice versus Nasruddin Imavov. Uh, Imavov was the winner, pretty much dominated. This fight could have been stopped, but for two reasons twice. One, in the first round, when Imavov unloaded on Delice, on one hand, I do want to say maybe Herb Dean just officiated perfectly and let it go because we got treated to another 20 plus minutes of fighting. But at the other, on the other hand, he was getting beat up so bad that I don't think anyone would have had a problem with the stoppage. Uh, plus, he would have saved us 20 minutes of pretty much a boring fight. And then there was another point in time, I think it was round three or round four, when he got punted in the head when he was clearly a down opponent. And it was pretty much intentional. And so, therefore, he could have been disqualified. Uh, Delice said, no, nah, man, I can go. And he went and everyone kind of gave him a round of applause. But maybe he thought the tide was turning or who knows. Maybe he thought Imavov blew his load in round one. He was just slowing down. But, yeah, man, that was just it's a painful fight to watch. Delice is, you know, he kept getting told by Eric Nixick to throw straight punches. Instead, he's winding up. That's one thing. And then, two, when he would clinch, he would just press – um Umbov up against the cage and Eric kept telling him let's try and go for some trips Let, let's send this guy for a ride but you know only a few times was he going down for a single or a double or anything for the most part he was just basically up against the cage and he forced the ref to break them up a few times it was an odd fight because it uh it wasn't the best fight 
but because of all the drama surrounding it inside of it, I uh, it became interesting to me. I never, I hate 10 seven rounds. That's about as close as you can get maybe to a 10 seven round. I mean, to me, uh, that was one hell of a beatdown. And I love the way the ref handled it because every time there was an opportunity to maybe jump in, it just felt like it, it wasn't the right time. It was just so weird. And it would keep drifting on into that territory. But you add that. You add uh, the kick, right? That The illegal kick. You add Chris Curtis on the outside almost getting into, into it with Imavov. Like, it just kind of made things interesting for not really being the most entertaining fight. Yeah. Um, I'm going to save some, some of this for spinning back click. I'm still writing the script for it, but I do want to get your thoughts on it. Maybe we'll give an early preview. Didn't this one, it didn't almost just seem, seem like a failure. Like I get it. These two guys are pretty decent middleweights, but I, I don't think they were ready for a five round main event uh, of a fight night. Like these just aren't sexy names. And I don't know. And then the fight, you know, I like to see it play out. Um, but they really, if it wasn't my job, I really, it was painful for me to log on goes. It was painful for me to watch it. It's painful for me to talk about. It just, these guys, they didn't deliver. And I don't know if it was the UFC should, should not put this together or if it's basically on the fighters for just dogging it, I guess. Maybe a little bit of everything, because at the end of the day, like what what's so weird about mixed martial arts is you're almost, you're thankful for it that you're if you're an MMA junkie, you need your fix, right? And the UFC does a good job of getting your fix, but not all cards are created equal. And if you look at the three big cards that are coming up, right mm-hmm. on the way to 300, this wouldn't be on any of those main cards, I don't think. You know, and that that's kind of odd for it to be headlining at the apex, but not be something that's big enough to even be on the main card of of some of these other cards. So sometimes when you get these types of fights, you feel like like it like they're almost just going here. Just take this, shut up here, take this. And they have so many fighters that I get they they have to make them fight, they have to find them fights, but it's just not up to par with with what we're used to, I guess. Could have been a good fight, but it just didn't pan out that way. And it was so uninteresting that Dana didn't even go to it, and he went to boxing instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what does that tell you? Yeah, the the fighters just didn't really adjust. Um, I think this was more on the lead say, to tell you the truth. I, I don't know. I just don't see these guys as main eventers of a fight night just yet. Like, I don't find them that they're there. Yeah. I feel like this was a force and going back to what Don, Dan Tom says often, the UFC has this schedule where they're just forced to give you cards and they get bailed out by the fact that sometimes some fights are actually money and like, oh, okay, you know, like, you know, someone got knocked out. You know, I've had my fix time to go to bed or whatever. But when that doesn't happen, it's like, man, just, Call me when the next pay-per-view takes place. I'm, I might even skip the next one. Like, it, it, I don't know. Yeah, it's just an odd feeling. You know, it, I don't know. Especially when you consider the fact that, I mean, I guess other people are in different boats than we are because this is our job. But when you consider the fact that you are saying here are eight hours of my day, my weekend, you know, and it feels good when it pays off. But when it doesn't, you're like, man, I wish I had those eight hours. I hear you. A lot of decisions yesterday. Hinata Moicano beat Drew Dober. Uh, Randy Brown, no decision there. He took out Muslim Salikov pretty easily. Natalia Silva defeated Vivian Araujo. That was a decision, unanimous. Uh, Aliskab Kiziriev defeated Mahmoud Muradov. Well, sorry, that was the no contest. What am I thinking? Um, Charles Radke defeated Gilbert uh, Urbina. That was the first fight on the main card. Molly McCann debuted nicely, 
I looked good at 115 pounds, got a win, and uh, she got a su- submission of the night. Sorry, not submission, uh, performance of the night. But yeah, it was it was due to the sub- submission. Uh, Charles Johnson, he won via decision. Themba Garimbo won via TKO. Lee Jong Young defeated uh, Blake Wilder. Luana Carolina, who came in over, by the way, she defeated uh, Juliet Stoliorenko. Markel Medeiros defeated Landon Quinones. And Jamal Pogues defeated Thomas Peterson. Uh, what was that? Four, four decisions on the undercard and three on the main card. Yeah, this thing just kind of dragged on. And the other bonus winners were Brown, McCann. Fight of the night went to Johnson and Max Maxo. You know what I thought was interesting about that? Molly McCann, I feel like, needs to be very careful because things weren't going her way. And she made this change. I think I think she can gain some momentum if she just fights smart. And what I think stood out the most for me was just the thing she was saying. Mentally, she just seemed better. She kind of chilled out. She just like she before I think she tried to push too much the ah, meatball Molly and you know, like at this this particular card, I just felt like she was kind of more her. She was just a chilled version of her. And I think it really, really worked out. And I was really happy to see that because she's fun. She's a fun person to have in the sport. Yeah, and I think her and Pimlet had some positives when they were on the same card. Mm-hmm. But I think it also had a negative or two that seemed to, I don't know, it put, put pressure on them because them two together kind of are, you know, colorful or whatever. But then at some point it's like, okay, look, your fight's over. We interviewed you. You guys are eating pizza. You're pretty funny. But get off the stage. There's more There's more coming. Like this isn't, you know, the Meatball Molly and Patty Pimlet show. And I think sometimes they felt like that's how they took it over. But look, that – London Arena was popping, you know, mm-hmm. they would fight there. I get it. They got caught up in it. But I think it was pretty good to kind of keep them separated. And, you know, she got taught a lesson by, um, uh, what's her name? The, uh, the flyweight that's ripping people up. Aaron. Yeah, Aaron Blanchfield, yeah. She's fighting Manon Fioralt. So I think that was a real, real lesson there on strength and that ground game and, she pulled it off. She went to Strawway and got a win and a fifty thousand dollars bonus. So that's yeah. good. Now she's got new life there at Strawway. Um, look, we got spinning back click tomorrow, so there's just really not too much news. Uh, Austin Trout defeated Luis Palomino at BKFC. I enjoyed the fight. I watched it. I thought Palomino got started a little too late, and by then. Trout kind of found his rhythm, and he looked good. He was just a more polished puncher of the two. So congrats to him. He's now a a boxing champion and a bare-knuckle champion. And Luis Palomino, first loss after in in 10 fights. Uh, This was his first loss. He was 9-0 going in. And uh, he still has a title. He was going for the vacant welterweight title, but he still has the lightweight title. And uh, I think he still goes down as the best bare knuckle fighter in, in bare knuckle fighting history. Uh, it just it came to an end against uh, a real polished and refined striker and Austin Trout. Any thoughts on that? I know you saw it. Yeah. So the whole card was fun, but I felt like Palomino didn't really lose a step in regards to BKFC. I think he gained a little bit of momentum because if you yeah. if you watch the fight. And you look at it, you go, man, okay, one guy is just way bigger than the other, right? Why are we here? We're well, we're here because the other guy was so good that he wanted to test himself up there, right? And, and take on a guy like Austin Trout, who's got great boxing skills, you know? And he's a much bigger dude, and you could tell that that kind of played a factor in the fight. But where I think Luis didn't really lose a step was the fact that despite him not having... Um, getting popped with that jab, not being able to find that distance, the range, he still kind of came forward. And he, and at times even 
came forward a little recklessly just to give the fans what they want and to kind of test Austin Trout. And I think that's what you want, right? Like, don't you want people fighting that way? Mm-hmm. So um, I thought I thought he actually kind of probably gained some more fans on top of the ones that he already had. And like, he hadn't fought for a year, and he is 42 or 43. And, and, and yeah. like I say, he's fighting a game that Trout has been – at the highest level of him. He's been a WBA champion. No shame in that. Um, he had to make it ugly. He just got started a little bit too late. And I wouldn't mind seeing a rematch. You know, it's not like BKFC's deep with like 10 contenders in every weight division. That's that's not the case at all. But mm-hmm. I, I, I definitely think a lot of time off is just never good, especially at that age. But, man, Palomino's a stud, dude. Um, I, yeah. I really want to see fight again and soon hopefully he's on this uh what's it called knuckle mania that's coming up it's in april in los angeles mm-hmm. yeah that's uh late april i think 27th or something like that the other news was the tyson fury had a cut above his eye so his fight against alexander usage is off it's already been announced for like mid-may i believe that's when they're going to do it it was supposed to happen here pretty soon Francis Ngannou was like, well, maybe me and Joshua should be for for a title, but take it easy, Ngannou. You're a stud. I, I get it, but you're 0-1. I don't know that you can fight for a title just yet. Mm-hmm. The fact that you're going the distance with these guys and putting them down, respect. You're already the baddest man on the planet. I don't even think the title would define you. Just get paid well. You know, maybe I guess it would be nice to hang a belt, though. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe. We're out of here, folks. We'll see you tomorrow, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, for Spinning Back Click. Uh, we'll be discussing five topics from this past week with our colleagues. Check it out. And thanks for your support here on Mondays and Thursdays when we drop the Junkie Show. You can catch it, obviously, on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Omni, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, also, that Spinning Back Click. If you're already listening to this via the podcast, look for Spinning Backlick and you want to add another podcast to uh, the, you know, the other podcast that you listen to, then there you go. All right, folks. Talk to you soon. Be champions. <laughs>